0: Today, the Super Bowl halftime show gets the prudes hot and bothered, and will the public's desire for abortion restrictions impact the 2020 election? Welcome to the 180 Cast. Welcome back to the 180 cast. I am your host, Georgie Borman. This is the podcast where we explore how people change their minds and bring moral and logical clarity out of all of the cultural and political confusion. Thank you so much for being with me today. Of course, we have so much to get to. We're going to talk about the Super Bowl. We're going to talk about abortion restrictions and how that may or may not impact the 2020 election. But before we get to all that, I woke up this morning to the devastating news that Rush Limbaugh has stage four lung cancer. Rush Limbaugh is one of the most wildly popular conservative talk radio hosts in the country. He's been broadcasting for 30 plus years. Obviously, I hope and pray that he makes a full recovery from this, but I think now, regardless, is as good a time as any to point out that Rush has meant so much to conservative media and to the the conservative movement, and I consider myself a, a part of that, right? I have always been open to having conversations, and I want to have conversations with people from a wide variety of backgrounds and beliefs on this podcast, That will never change. But I've also not shied away from where I am coming from with my own worldview. And I grew up listening to Rush Limbaugh and people like Rush Limbaugh and Michael Medved taught me the, the fundamentals of how politics work in this country and the fundamentals of conservatism. And they, they taught me to, to love the news and to love figuring out what it means for me and for us as a country. And especially during the Obama years, um, talk radio really, it, it's not just about how people get their news, but, and it's not even just about entertainment. It's, it's, there's a sense of solidarity that it generates that has been so important to so many conservatives across the country. And if you're an Obama fan, you know, you may not you may not really understand that there there really isn't a uh, quite an equivalent on the left to conservative talk radio. But if you're listening and and you're on the left, just know that it's not something to be demeaned. It it's actually something to celebrate in a way. Not all talk radio is created equal, but People who listen to talk radio are some of the most informed voters in the country, hands down. It can easily become a bubble. Yes, I know that. I have said that before. But also, there's something really special about it and very special about the bond that people like Rush Limbaugh have created with their audiences over the years. I mean, there's a term, uh, people who who were born while Rush Limbaugh was on the air— and grow up listening to him are called Rush babies. Uh, I fell out of listening, you know, when I left home. But he, hes hes one of the legends. He's one of the giants, and I think he deserves recognition for that and a, a lot of respect. So say a prayer for the man behind the golden EIB microphone, please. Before we get started, do not forget, of course, that you can subscribe to the podcast so that when you enter whatever podcast catcher you're listening to, you will know that there is a new 180 Cast episode. We release an episode every Friday and every other Tuesday. Half of them are breakdown sessions like this, where I talk about news and culture, and the others are in-depth interviews with people who have changed their minds on a variety of subjects. I mean, really ranging across the board from veganism to abortion to assisted suicide, which is the topic of our upcoming interview. And so you wouldn't want to miss out on that. So please subscribe to the podcast. And if you have thoughts, if I have said something that irks you, or you have something that you just desperately need to say, call the flip phone at 323-999-1802. You can text it also, or leave a voicemail. Those are your options. I encourage you to do that. I love hearing what you have to say. And unfortunately, today, we don't get to get to message us on the flip phone because there are no messages on the flip phone. I know. It's very sad. Let's go ahead and talk about the Super Bowl now, shall we? Let's uncork the culture. It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Skip the end. Daring. I was poking fun at the prudes earlier in the episode. But I only say that because I am one. And I too watched the Super Bowl halftime show because I watch the Super Bowl every year. I am one of those people that participates in this last vestige of the monoculture. I mean, the Super Bowl is often referred to as a secular holiday. I think that that description is appropriate. As a prude, Watching the Super Bowl halftime show, I uh, I definitely agree with the assessment that it was very risque. A lot of moms are complaining, especially moms of young daughters, and they have they have a right to complain. In one performance, there was pole dancing, wide long shots of Jennifer Lopez's crotch, uh, stripping. You could say it's costume change, but if you're stripping down to practically being mostly naked, I I just I would just go ahead and call that stripping. There was a a strong allusion to um, bondage with this rope bit that Shakira did. There was writhing on the floor in provocative postures. There was a weird rapper dude with goggles who looks kind of like a beekeeper, like almost slapping JLo's. But slash grinding on her almost it was it was very very sexualized here's just a, a sample of what i'm talking about so you can get the flavor of the situation because after all the dancing is meant to match the music and so here's here's sort of what was happening here's here's shakira sort of writhing on the floor while this weird rapper dude comes up and raps behind her and talks about the club I will say, first off, that Jennifer Lopez and Shakira are immensely talented. They're both amazing dancers. They are very, very good singers. And you cannot help when they're on stage sort of being caught up in the performance. They are very, very good at what they do. And I think it was absolutely the right move to have them do the Super Bowl halftime show, but like I said, um, very, very provocative, not necessary at all. I mean, uh, okay. So this, this soundbite is, is JLo. And if you watch the Super Bowl halftime show, you'll know what part I'm talking about. But if you didn't watch, just imagine, like, really, she's basically doing the splits right in front of the camera and the, the, outfit that she's wearing, it does not leave really anything to the imagination at all. Like, at all. From stay grounded as I'm real I thought I told you, funny, baby, you me in? right at the end that's where she bends over and you get a nice long high definition view of her butt and like i said just really nothing nothing is left to the imagination okay nothing it's funny um during that that first song the the song that she opens with when she comes onto the stage There's this part where she goes, don't be fooled by the rocks that I got. I'm still Jenny from the block. And I have to wonder, did Jenny run around the block, mostly naked uh, and bending over randomly and uh, shaking her butt all over the place? I have to think that she didn't. So there is a certain amount of being out of touch with what normal people do. And I understand that she's a performer. But still, as a performer, you should understand that the audience that is watching you is multi-generational, and people watch the Super Bowl as a family. That said, what did you expect exactly from the halftime show? When women perform the halftime show, it tends to be very sexualized. Maybe not quite to this point that it was this year. It varies a little bit, but... That's just, that's just true. When these women perform their concerts, it's very sexualized. They wear hardly any clothes. They dance very provocatively. Everybody, everybody knows this. Anybody who's clutching their pearls over this should not be pretending that this is a a surprise. Because it's not. Does anybody else remember 2004 when Janet Jackson did the Super Bowl halftime show? Admittedly, the stage was much less impressive, but I'll just play the audio from the very end of that performance so you can get a so that you can get a feel of of what happened about 16 years ago when Justin Timberlake ripped a patch of fabric off of her brazier and exposed her entire breast to the world watching national television. End of this song. And at the very end there, before the crowd roars, she looks down like she's surprised at what has happened. Of course she wasn't surprised. The whole thing was planned. Like you can tell from watching it. It was, it was not an accident, okay? And before that, they spent quite a lot of time humping while they were singing that awful, awful song. Honestly, I watched a lot of that performance yesterday in prep for this podcast, and it was not—it was not good. I do. There is hardly anything that commends Janet Jackson's music to me. She may be a good dancer, but she's not as good as Shakira, and she's not as good as J Lo. And it was—it was—it was not good, guys. It was not good. Although I will say, although you should not be surprised about how sexualized the halftime show is. I heard a DJ uh, yesterday point out something that deserves to be repeated um last year maroon 5 played the halftime show and last year adam levine took his shirt off and uh and uh did we hear all of the uh the housewives complaining complaining about that as they pulled up their shirt collars just a little bit make it okay i swear i'll behave Yeah, Maroon 5 lyrics, a lot of those lyrics are very provocative, too. And if a woman were singing that song, there would be a lot more provocative dancing. But nevertheless, the lyrics themselves should have generated some complaints from parents and prudes all across the nation that believe that that is not appropriate for a show that people watch as a family. Now, maybe it is time to just realize that the super bowl is not something that families can watch that it will not be a part of our monoculture anymore in the sense that it is not multigenerationally multigenerationally appropriate maybe that's something that we need to realize you know some some people have suggested that maybe we should have like a rating system that it should be rated like tv14 or tvma the halftime show and maybe the commercials as well should should have a rating like that sort of like um Sort of like trailers do before movies, there's always a rating before those trailers are shown. That's never going to happen because that's going to drive down ratings for the Super Bowl. So if you don't like the halftime show, just generally bottom line, just turn it off. You don't have to watch the halftime show. And a lot of the people who are complaining, myself included, honestly, if I'm being honest, are probably still going to tune in to the halftime show next year. Every year, I sort of have this annual amnesia when it comes to the halftime show. And I really, like, I've been talking about, well, what should you expect from the halftime show? But why do I forget, like, every year that this is exactly what happens every time? Shouldn't I have just turned it off? Yes, yes, I should have. And if you want to send a message that, You don't find the halftime family-friendly, and so you're not going to watch, then you have to turn it off. And really, that is the only way to send a message is to drive down ratings. So if you're not willing to do that, maybe maybe you should stop complaining. And I hope this draws attention to the fact that it is not just about dancing, okay? A lot of the lyrics, for instance, last year I think was much worse than this year in terms of the lyrics that were being sung. Um, those lyrics are very, very risque, and it's not something that you would let your kids listen to on a regular basis or at all if you have control over what they're listening to. But at the same time, you're going to turn in for the Super Bowl halftime show, and you're going to hear all of this stuff. So we can't sweep that under the rug either. Bottom line, though, regardless of what you expect from the halftime show, if you find it distasteful, if you find it inappropriate, we really should just turn it off we need to talk about something much more serious and consequential than perhaps the Super Bowl halftime show now, as we debunk some conventional wisdom. This case is not clear to me. I'll do your research. I came across this article by Kylie Zempel over at The Federalist that she wrote during or just after the March for Life, which generates a lot of attention, a lot of buzz, in conservative media, especially, of course, on the pro-life sites. The title was, Will Any 2020 Democrat Align Themselves with Voters on Abortion? In a word, no. It was mostly based off of her interview with Carl Anderson of the Knights of Columbus. And Carl Anderson is very optimistic about the role that pro-life sentiment is supposed to play in the 2020 presidential race. He cites, of course, this Marist poll every year. The Knights of Columbus does a, a poll with Marist to poll basically pro-life sentiments among the public. And this poll purports to show that 70% of Americans want significant restrictions on abortion, such as limiting it to the first 12 weeks of pregnancy, allowing it only in cases of rape or incest or to save the mother's life, or are altogether prohibiting abortion. So 70% want some sort of significant restrictions on abortion, according to this poll. Anderson also said he thinks that most Americans think it is fundamentally unjust to intentionally kill an innocent human being. Those were his, his words. Is this true? And should we count on this favorable polling? Should we count on Americans supposedly overwhelming pro-life sentiment to be a factor in deciding the next president of the United States. Should we count on the radical position of all of the Democrat candidates? Tulsi Gabbard is the only person among this whole slate of Democrat candidates for president that doesn't think that abortion should be something that a woman can decide at any point in the third trimester that she just wants to have an abortion. And that's supposed to be moderation. But are we supposed to count on that as something that disgusts the public to such a point where they will not vote for the Democrat candidate for president? Should we count on that? And in future elections, should we count on Democrats because Democrats themselves overwhelmingly disagree with late term abortion, overwhelmingly, something like only 22 percent of them believe that um, that third trimester abortions are OK. Should we count on that to have more moderate Democrat candidates in the future? right? Because this is this is the pro-life generation, guys. It's the pro-life generation. And by golly, we are almost there, right? We are almost there to actually getting something done when it comes to abortion policy in this country. First of all, if we want to examine this contention, obviously you can see where I'm coming from. And if you've listened to this podcast before, you know my perspective on the pro-life movement and my perspective on abortion in general. But First of all, if we, we need to examine this polling because 70% sounds, that sounds pretty good. And this, the, the write-up from Knights of Columbus of their Maris poll is very, very favorable, very, very rosy view of how pro-life the American public generally is. Well, this Maris poll is a load of garbage. Sorry, not sorry. It's true. I'm sure the Knights of Columbus do some, some wonderful pro-life work. But their poll is absolute trash. It's bordering on propaganda. I'm serious. Listen to the, listen to the wording. Okay. When you, any poll that comes out, if you can get your hands on the actual wording that is administered during the poll, you need to do that because people are going to take certain numbers and spin it out and sort of change the verbiage a little bit to mean something that it doesn't necessarily mean. For instance, one of the, one of the questions in this poll is thinking about a candidate's position on abortion. Which of the following are you most likely to vote for? And then it gives different profiles of candidates with different positions on abortion. Think about that for a second. Is that really helpful in understanding who somebody is actually going to vote for? Or is that setting up A situation in which you get to pick your ideal candidate where you don't have any other issues that you're considering along with it when you're thinking about who to vote for. So it's basically in a dream world. If you could come up with a candidate that has a position that resembles your own on abortion, who would you pick? So that's one of the questions. Another one is which statement comes closer to your view? One, it is possible to have laws which protect both the health and well being of a woman and the life of the unborn. Or two, it is necessary for laws to choose to protect one and not the other. You're you're setting up a false choice hoping that respondents pick the first choice. You're and you're setting up a situation in which you're not actually talking about abortion per se, you're just talking about maternal and fetal health care. You're just talking about obstetrics, essentially. Who is going to pick the second one? Anybody who's pro-choice also has a mother or they have a sibling that has children or they have children themselves. They've been through pregnancy or they've seen somebody go through pregnancy and, oh, look at the baby on the monitor. And, oh, it's so cute and precious. And when are you due? And, you know, they've been to baby showers and all of that. They're not going to say that they think it's necessary to protect one over the other. Come on! This is crap polling. Sorry, not sorry. For the semi-strong language. And even this poll found that 60% of their respondents identify as pro-choice. Polls are important because they give a lot of people a lot of energy and a lot of reason for hope or reason for despair and we need to we need to get it right in terms of how we're interpreting it. Additionally, and more importantly, one of the tiny, somewhat valuable things it dug up was only 45% of people who identify as pro-life say it's a major factor in their decision on who to vote for. And only 43% of Republicans. The base of the Republican Party is pro-life. The, the, the grassroots people the the people who really do the work in the Republican party to get candidates elected is pro-life. But in terms of the general sort of general election voters, they are not pro-life, not really, not pro-life in the sense that they want to see abortion banned. They're not it's, it' it is not their it is not a major factor for them. It is not their litmus test for who to vote for. Furthermore, this mayor's polling conflicts with other polling that is done in a more professional manner to actually determine what the American public's attitude toward abortion is. Gallup, in 2019, found 53% believe abortion should be legal under certain circumstances as compared to any circumstances. So, if you think about setting up that under certain circumstances as compared to any circumstances, that should pretty much capture anybody who believes that abortion should generally be restricted, right? Under certain circumstances should encompass most pro-lifers because most pro-lifers believe in an exception for rape and incest, right? Most people in the mainstream pro-life movement believe in an exception for rape and incest, at least as a practical matter okay uh and and they believe in exceptions for the life of the mother only only 53 percent say it should be legal under certain certain circumstances as composed to any circumstances 2019 pew poll that one shows 61 percent of respondents support legal abortion in all or most cases that's the verbiage all or most cases compared to 38% who say it should be illegal in all or most cases. Now, that one, I feel like, is even more valuable in terms of the phrasing, because it, it really captures whether somebody is supportive of abortion or really not supportive of abortion. 61% in all or most cases. Now, you got to remember that 91% of abortions happen in the first trimester, 97.5% of abortions happen before the age of viability. Actually, before 20 weeks. That's CDC data. I'm not making that up. That's not propaganda. That is the plain truth. So if, if you're asking somebody whether they think abortion should be legal in most cases, you are talking primarily about first trimester abortion. You are asking people, do you think first trimester abortion is okay? Because you could spend most of your time under a rock as an American citizen or an American resident and still understand that the vast majority of abortions happen very early in pregnancy. And that is when people least care about the welfare of the the preborn child. Furthermore, going back to the Gallup poll, two in three respondents disfavored overturning Roe v. Wade. Two in three. 60% disfavored overturning it. Which is greater than the 53% that supposedly believe abortion should be legal only under certain circumstances as compared to any circumstances. And then on top of that, only 50% of respondents were willing to say abortion, quote unquote, in general is, quote, morally wrong, unquote. Which I think stands in contrast to Carl Anderson's claim that most Americans think it is fundamentally unjust to intentionally kill an innocent human being. Only 50% were willing to say it is generally morally wrong. Not always morally wrong, generally morally wrong. Only 50%. I think what this polling, I mean, I could go on with the polls. But I think after examining the polls for hours and hours, voters at best, you can make the argument that they are confused about abortion. They are confused about, and misinformed and uninformed on the topic. And they have not devoted a significant amount of brain energy to understanding the subject in general and where they actually come down on it and thinking things through to their logical conclusion. They just haven't, okay? And and at worst, if you're interpreting these polls... Worse than that, you could say that Americans are generally supportive of abortion rights, particularly in the first trimester, again, where 91% of abortions happen. So anyone who tries to tell you that the American public is, oh, they're so widely supportive of abortion restrictions, as if they're going to build this giant, really super-powered coalition that's going to take down abortion and just really put a dent in the numbers, they're lying to you. They're lying, or they are seriously misinformed. Seriously misinformed. Furthermore, according to Gallup, like I said before, you have to you have to contextualize abortion within the way that people actually vote and like the plethora of other issues that people are considering when they go to the ballot box. Abortion trails behind a long list of other voter issues: health care. say it's very important. Terrorism, national security, 80%. Immigration, 74%. And a host of others, including infrastructure, gun policy, race relations, and taxes. Sorry, abortion is just not at the top of the list for most Americans. Even pro-life Americans. Like I said before, even the Marist poll found that Far less than a majority, like 43% of Republicans, say it's a major factor in their voting. You can't spin that. But you might say, but Georgie, what about the independents? Because everybody knows that independents decide general elections. Well, let's look at the independents, shall we? If you're banking on independents to make a difference in the election, you got to understand that only a quarter of them rank abortion as extremely important. Behind health care, the economy, climate change gun policy, among other things. And 56% of independents believe abortion should be legal under certain circumstances. Again, that generally encompasses uh, abortion moderates. And 24% believe it should be legal in all circumstances. Quarter of independents should be legal in all circumstances. 48% of them consider themselves pro-choice compared to 44% pro-life. Spin that for me, will you? Bottom line, if the abortion issue decides the next president, it probably will not be Donald Trump. You better be hoping that abortion doesn't decide the next president or else pray earnestly down on your knees that God changes the hearts of the majority of Americans to where they actually are disgusted by the positions of the Democrat candidates that are running for president. Pray for that. But otherwise, you should not count on this to make a difference. I don't care how much money you are tasked with raising for the pro-life movement. I don't care. You cannot lie to people and give them false hope. It's wrong. And there's this myth in the pro-life movement, this conventional wisdom that's been around for decades, that you can build a coalition with quote-unquote abortion moderates. First of all, there's nothing moderate about supporting legal abortion. You're supporting one person willfully destroying the innocent life of another human being. There's nothing moderate about that. Second of all, abortion moderates have way more in common with abortion quote-unquote radicals than they do with opponents of abortion. One group thinks it should be illegal. One group thinks it's morally wrong. The other group thinks it's okay and then has irrational arguments for why they don't think it's okay later in pregnancy. There is a vast chasm between abortion moderates and opponents of abortion that is practically unbridgeable. Abortion moderation does not deserve an alliance or a coalition. People who are abortion moderates need to be converted they need a change of heart to realize that abortion is wrong, that it's evil, that is, it is a scourge on this nation, and that it needs to be abolished. Don't tell me that numbers, that gaining a majority for pushing moderate restrictions on abortion, so-called, don't tell me that that's going to get you where you need to go, because it won't. I was going to do a woke of the week but honestly we we don't have time and i feel like this abortion issue was more important so i am somewhat reluctant to leave you on such a depressing note but know that it is not up to us as human beings it is not up to numbers to make the difference in the abortion debate god can use a very small number to accomplish his will Nothing is impossible for God. And this focus on trying to get the public on your side, the pro-life movement has been trying this for nearly half a century. Where are we? Where are we in terms of abortion policy? Pretty much nowhere. There are some moderate restrictions. There are ultrasound laws. There are waiting periods. Are those really restrictions on abortion, or are they just regulations? Is murder being restricted in this country? Is it being ended? Or is it being regulated? That's something that you need to consider. I have hope. My hope is in Jesus. My hope is not in the American public. I hope yours is too. Episode 49 will hit the charts on Friday. I interviewed Christopher Ford, who is a activist, a disability activist in New Zealand, where they are set to vote on the subject of assisted suicide this November. And I talked to him about his 180 on that subject. It's very interesting. Here's a snippet of our conversation. Absolutely. Even if it starts out as voluntary, I think that the slippery slope argument is often dismissed. But in many jurisdictions which have passed euthanasia laws, there has often been a very slow and gradual liberalization expansion of euthanasia legislation. So do hit play on that. Please, if you have thoughts about anything I said today, if I ticked you off, especially, you can leave a voicemail or text the flip phone at 323-999-1802. That number, of course, is in the episode description. Subscribe to the podcast, please, if you have a minute. Consider giving it a review on Apple Podcasts that does help the podcast a lot in terms of growth and putting these conversations in front of more people so more people can participate and chew on really important subjects like the one that we just discussed. Until next time, seek the truth, share your values, and listen with your heart and your mind. God bless. In the what I need who have got to in the be. middle of the struggle or let me see who I am what I need who have got to in the be of a struggle, Executive Producer Lord, Kevin McCullough Music who by Richie Craft What I need who have got to in the middle of the struggle or let me see who I am what I need who have got to be